0: in the Shed, a podcast powered by Cars Guide, ready to rip into car stuff that has caught our eye this week. I'm Cars Guide Deputy Editor James, and with me, two key contributing journalists, Peter and Chesto. This week, we're looking at an important youth brother from another mother and a youth sister from a different mister. And we'll give you a rundown on some fresh metal in the Cars by garage. Plus, we'll catch up with the world's greatest interstellar philosopher in this week's Muskwatch. So, stay with us. First of all, we've had some feedback. And last week, we were talking about the emergence of H2X, um, a startup mm. company in Australia with some bold claims about where they're going to be headed with a range of vehicles from tractors and commercial vehicles to SUVs and vans and you name it. And it generated a lot of thought and a lot of feedback, which has been terrific. And John Gibson kicked it off by saying he hopes the Americans, and particularly GM, so he's got a bit of a problem there, keep their snouts away Mm -hmm. from H2X. Hope (laughs) this brand and hydrogen in general really takes off. Hopefully the infrastructure can be organised to match demand. Well, that of course is the missing link at this point um, is, is infrastructure in Australia, but Luke Holmes chimed in and said, "Don't worry, mate. It will be the Chinese that play Gordon Gecko this time around." If H two <laughs> if H two X and the Snowy and he says, "What a name!" I just think of blue singlet and trucky shorts. Are not vaporware. <laughs> They'll require foreign investment and partnerships to get the market reach and profit margin required to be viable. So I suppose that's the question that's been lurking in the back of a few people's minds, and we'll get to yeah. subsequent comments about it's such a big deal because hydrogen fuel cell seems to be such a focus in China. Yeah. So <laughs> then let's, let's see if, came in and said, cars can only be constructed and stored in low-humidity atmospheric climates. That's why Victoria and South Australia built them. New South Wales Coastal Computer says no. Um, no. I, 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 my, my problem with that is that a fair few cars coming to this country are actually built in Thailand, and I think yeah, it's pretty much tropical, isn't don't. it?
1: Oh, oh it's, it's, pretty, is no. <laughs> it's pretty humid in southern Japan as well.
0: Well, David Burt said, the H2X Snowy, I smell a rat. Everyone knows oh. that New South Wales can't build cars, exclamation mark. The last decent car built in the first state was the HZ at Holden's Pagewood plant. And... Um, <laughs> For people people old enough to remember uh, the Pagewood plant, I've got to say, it was in operation from 1940 to 1980, and the HZ uh, was in fact built there. And I remember going with a notable uh, Australian motoring journalist when I was just in short pants and helping out on some road tests um, at Modern Motor magazine. We had to return a damaged VB Commodore SLE yeah. that had snotted a tree on a road test. <laughs> and there was, in fact, an HZ panel van there that had had an engine dropped on its roof. <laughs> and oh, it, it, <laughs> it wasn't ready to be picked up and taken away, mind you. It was in the rectification area. Uh-huh. So that, that car was going to be repaired and sold. Um, <laughs> Can I just so, say, but, Pagewood
1: is quite close to the coast, and they made cars there. Oh, good uh, point. I would, And also, yes. I, I, I'm completely... I'm miffed. I'm a little... Little, oh, yeah. little put out that he yep. forgot about the Zetland Renault plant. I mean, the mighty Renault 12 well, was you've also made got, um, in Zetland. <laughs> lasers,
0: lasers being built in Homebush Home and Bush various Bush. other cars being built and in Homebush. Home Capri- and yeah, anyway. Capri. David is a proud Victorian, and we know that from oh, the really? past correspondence. Now, yeah. Neza says the first renderings of the H2X SUV look like a rip-off Audi. Uh, and he does sense Chinese backing, ha-ha, don't know why that's funny, but seriously, <laughs> okay. I think their main market will be China. <laughs> hence, being located next to a port, and that's the thing—they're going to be based at Port Kembla on the south coast of New South Wales, so that they're the right there, ready in, to.
2: Yeah, may, maybe it's. Uh, the the concept of Chinese manufacturing is such that not many people build build things in Australia for the Chinese market. <laughs> yes, right. going to be built there. That's, that's, that's true. <laughs>
0: Well, it is ironic, you know, when you talk about Colston, Newcastle, he's um, a former steelworks town sending um, cars off to China. Now, Michael Lee, who's rapidly emerging as our China specialist, he keeps an eye um, on China quite obviously. H2X is not mentioned on any Chinese car site. Now, he may even be in China. I'm not sure. Um, Indicating to me, one, it's not for Chinese market. Two, no Chinese money involved. People are completely ignoring it over there. Oh, over there. So he probably is in Australia. Australian companies behind it: Elven Group, and Elven Group is uh, mainly about concrete and um, mm-hmm. other things related to it. And Denso, which is an architecture, project management, engineering type company, and they are both involved. That's absolutely right. But Michael okay. did some subsequent digging and said, "Oh, just saw a report that the founders of H2X, Mr. Wrights—that's Chris Wrights—and Mr. Norman—that's um, Brendan Norman." Uh, have a company in China called Grove uh, to do with FC uh, EV technology. They actually work there together. It's Grove Auto. So that is true. Yeah. There is a pretty strong Chinese connection. Chinese now, yeah, but, I yeah,
1: think there's a lot of it.
0: Yes. Sorry, Chester?
2: Uh, yeah, I, I think your memory serves a, a couple of the executives worked over there, maybe even for SAIC or something. But anyway, don't hold me to that. Yeah. Like the the thing about H 2 x is that look, it is still absolutely in its infancy. They are predominantly going to focus on road transport first, trucks, etc., heavy vehicles, and then eventually move into the SUV space. But that's right. I mean it's it's exciting, it's got some real automotive talent behind it. It's in Australia, but it is yeah. years away. Years yeah. away from really oh it
0: so. is indeed. It is indeed. Um, one good point I thought was from Eddie Fuentes. He says hydrogen fuel? Really? Do you know how energy intensive that is to harness and let alone transport compared to our current fuel? Now, he's obviously someone who has a bit of uh, knowledge in this area. Goes to show yeah. that marketing works. The public sees water coming out as a byproduct, which looks convincingly green, until you find out how this fuel is extracted and refined. And of course, making hydrogen, there are many ways of making it mm. um, electrolysis or an electrolytic something, various ways. That can be commercially scalable or not, but that's a really good point. And John Gibson says maybe the brand should dabble in electric as well. Well, it is a fuel cell electric uh, drive um, Mm -hmm. in case hydrogen fails to take off. I don't know, but it'll be good to have local manufacturing back. And I think that was a a strong sentiment through a lot of the commentary that there's just this glimmer of hope that there might be some automotive manufacturing of cars anyway in Australia.
1: Yeah. Well, I think also, I mean... uh, it is energy-intensive hydrogen, but you can do it with green energy in the first place. So if you've, I mean, there's plenty of wind in Port yep. Kembla. There's plenty of, um, plenty of yep. sun. There's plenty of wave power. So I mean, yeah, hydrogen yeah. itself can be done quite um, cleanly. Wouldn't and, that be cool yeah.
0: to use wave yeah. energy off the coast um, yep. to power hydrogen production? That'd be yeah. unreal.
1: And the CSIRO last year worked out how to move hydrogen by basically converting it to ammonia, which is a much more stable way of shifting it in the tanks. And then it converts back when when it's some process beyond my very small brain.
2: I spent some time with Hyundai this week, who are big in hydrogen at the moment. Mm. They've just launched the NEXO in Australia. Only 20 of them is a government contract at the moment. But of course, the view in years time is to make that a privately owned car. And basically, the, the word we're getting is that the Australian government wasn't really all that excited about the concept of, much like electric cars, about EV infrastructure and hydrogen infrastructure, until they heard the word export possibilities. Right. So, we do, I'm no expert in this field, but uh, we do apparently have a really, a, a, a huge opportunity to produce green hydrogen and then export yep. it to the rest of the world. So, if it does yep. become a future fuel,
0: we might be in yep. the box seat. Yeah, it's very true. And Peter, you mentioned uh, the CSIRO. I'd just like to give a shout out to Larry Marshall, head of the CSIRO. He and I are old school chums. Um, we went to school together, and he's probably the most successful schoolmate I've ever had in my entire life. Um, oh, you, but James, he, he, he was, big big Doctor Who fan. He used to wear the long coloured scarves to school. So uh, I had one long, of those. Long time nerd, great guy. Now, just on more. <laughs> <I did>. um <laughs> Good. Just, who was the Doctor Who who wore the scarves? What was the Tom actor's Baker. name? tom baker He was a big tom baker fan now in more general commentary hammer rocks uh came at us and said hey guys do us a favor when mentioning imperial numbers for example horsepower please also include the metric equivalent because he was diving off to google and having to stop things whatever and i think that was because last week i mentioned that the dbs aston martin i was driving was 715 horsepower well for hammer's Edification. That's five hundred and thirty-three kilowatts, which is plenty of kilowatts. But we will do that in future. And thank you very much. Was it and
1: brake horsepower or metric
0: horsepower? Oh look, it was horsepower. It was horses pulling something very quickly. (laughs) And David David Burt chimed in and said, "I'm loving JC's pronunciation of kilowatts, almost like Arnie kilowatts." Kilowatts. Um, (laughs) To that I would to that I would say, David, run, go,
1: get to the chopper. (laughs)
0: you're a power
1: figure, girly man.
0: Get to the. <laughs> I don't want to go to the cooler.
1: Okay, so then
0: I'll be back. David Burt uh, came back again and said, "Team, I'm loving your work. Where do we get T-shirts or hoodies from? You know, he'd he'd love to um, get some of that." And David, send us your address details on comments at carsguide.com.au, and we will send you some merch. And the price is right, as in zero dollars. <laughs> so make sure and do that. Comments at carsguide.com.au. Send us that, your address.
2: That's a dangerous game. The floodgates are about to open.
0: Look, yeah. David's in first. First mover gets gets the prize. Now, Jim Danick, what is the advantage of taking out the seats on the croc? Now, this was Richard playing around with the seats. He'd taken the middle row seats right out, sort of stacked them up on top of one another. It was all very weird. When compared to folding them down like other SUVs, is this catering for the business rep audience? You have to store them somewhere. You know, if you take them out, well, you have to put them somewhere. It's a fair point. And Hammer Rocks talked about long cargo, uh, tall stuff, but nothing beats the Honda Magic seats from the HRV or the Jazz. And I thought that was a really good point. The way they can fold up, fold down, all that stuff makes them super practical. Um, David Burt then said, you know, in the era of multi-purpose furniture, remove the seats when not driving for use in the media room. So you just populate your That's a, good <laughs> idea. That's a very good idea. I love it. Comfortable. Although I've never seen a fully flat floor when these seats are down since the days of the flip-up rear squab, um, for, for example, the HR Holden station wagon. And it's true, you know, the more contoured you make your back seat, in fact, the more supportive and comfortable you make it, the less likely you are able to have it fold flat and Actually, make it a we'll nice flat up. floor. Yep. So you're in a bit of a uh, what-do-I-do do situation. But if you can fold the squab forward and then uh, the, the backrest down, you've got a much better chance. So it's a real juggling act, I suppose, in designing that, that function.
1: Yep. I remember the last car I saw that had the fold-up squab. I think it was the Holden Trax. Exactly.
0: Well, look at our yeah. old family truckster, which is a early noughties car, has that, but uh, yeah. it, it fell out of favour for some reason. Mm. now the other thing was reg fundies said we we had a commenter that su- put a little suffix on their comment saying f-o-l-o-k-r well, we didn't know what l-o-k-r stood for but uh, reg has sorted it out and says look little orphans kitten rescue you asked so thank you Obviously. thank you very much re- thank you very much reg, um, for sorting that sure. out now andre Vergier came uh, at us and said, I thought you were going to mention the Mazda BT50 because, obviously, that's been pretty big news in the last week or so. And, in fact, Andre, your wish is our command because that is our main topic of conversation this week. The new Mazda BT50 shared platform with the DMAX, Isuzu DMAX, which has been around for a little while. I think it arrived at the end of last year. But before we get into the differences between the two, Chester, you had some thoughts on shared models more generally, particularly in the ute space, as to who gets the uh, the better deal.
2: Yeah. Uh, look, so the, the shared platform thing in use is the way of the future now. It's really the only way manufacturers are, are going to be able to do it. Volkswagen, who's partnered with Ford on the new Amarok, has basically come out during the week and said, if it wasn't for Ford, we would there's no way we would even consider a new Amarok. We need that partnership to make it work. So i Totally understand the commercial realities of the situation. But it does pose the question, who gets the better deal out of this? Now, you'll remember that the last Mazda BT-50 partnered with the Ford Ranger. Ford Ranger shot to number two on the Australian sales charts. Mazda BT-50, well, it didn't shoot to number two on the the sales charts. So, So, fair to say that Ford got the better deal out of that partnership. So, this time around, Mazda's partnered with Isuzu. Isuzu essentially provides the platform, the engine, the gearbox, all the tough tech that you expect from a Ute, Mazda gets to just wrap it in nice panels and sell it, which seems like a pretty good deal for Mazda. But the question I have for you then is, how do you decide between the two Utes? What pulls you out of an Isuzu and into a Mazda or out of a Mazda and into an Isuzu? What's the
0: difference well, it's the age-old question when it comes to, you know, what you might simplify and say is badge engineering. In this case, I think it's a bit more than that because yeah. um, things have been massaged quite substantially and there is a discernible difference between the two vehicles. But that's when a brand's well uh, worth or its equity does come to the fore in the market. You're able to leverage it and people take notice. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. I think, Um. I mean, we've had tradies. We've been at Day Club for tradies for the last 12 months in this house and it's it's almost over. Right. Uh, but they love their BT-50, but yeah. they also love their Amarok. Yeah. Uh, and there's always arguments around, you know, what do we get next? Do we get a Ranger? Do we get this? Yeah. Do we get that? And it's quite interesting to hear the people who actually use them for what they're meant for rather than, you know, Shirey's over the bridge there um, uh, dropping their kids off to daycare in a, you know, in an X class. Um, uh, you know, they're, they're looking for every last dollar. Uh, which is why a lot of them – I mean, a lot of them do buy the Hilux, but a lot say, well, they're so much more expensive than than this one or this one or this one, and they're buying the, the BT50 or the Ranger.
0: Yes, yes. Yeah. I think – um, just to circle back very briefly, Chesto, to your point about the manufacturing relationship and who gets the rough end of the pineapple and who gets the better deal, I think there are some hidden aspects in terms of throughput in a plant. Like one company may do all of the hard yards in terms of the engineering – the other gets the throughput in the plant, which can be uh, very valuable. Uh, it, it would be an interesting equation to 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 weigh up. Um, I think um, the differences between the two cars, our very own Tung Nguyen uh, came up with an interesting story about, well, OK, here they are on the face of it, very similar under the skin. But what do you get? What is different? Mm-hmm. And he broke it down uh, into the exterior styling, which when you look at the Mazda, it's very discernibly a Mazda. That yeah, face, very Mazda. It, it, yep. It's it's extraordinary how well that face has actually translated to a much yeah. bigger canvas on a Ute. They've managed to do it pretty successfully. Yeah. Um, so the exterior sheet metal for the BT50 is pretty much all Mazda. When you yeah. look at it in pro- profile, it's a little more subtle. There's there are probably some more uh, similarities rather than differences. But then you get the big wraparound tail lights at the back on the Mazda, which are quite different to the bt 50, uh, to the uh, D Max as well.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's it, it, I, I think brand identity is really important in these things. And I think uh, given that you know the Mazda three and and the CX five are such strong brands, and I think people like to be able to say, well, that car's been really good for me, and I'll I'll go and buy a Mazda. Whereas a, maybe an Isuzu is going to be more of a um, a, a tougher sell, particularly yep. it's going to be a family car. Um, yep. You know, we're, we're upgrading with the CX five because you know we're going to go totally off roading in our in our BT fifty. But yeah, and, but I think sure. from you know <laughs> a, and looking at this newer car, it looks like a more comfortable kind of proposition yep. as well yep. because the old BT fifty was quite utilitarian. Well,
2: Basically, I mean that, I that's, that's you are. I think you've absolutely hit the nail on the head there. When I when I think of the Isuzu D Max, I think of the Mazda. I think you you won't see too many D Maxes parked. In that family focused sort of segment. Correct. Yeah, Likewise, correct. you won't see too many BT50s parked out the front of uh, at trade sites. And what I yep. absolutely love about this concept is that the people who bought the Mazda for their family go, oh, it's perfect. I'd never have it. I said, build it like for the trade site. Go, oh, it's great. I'd never buy a Mazda. Yeah. Realizing
1: that actually, they're the same. Yeah. And just to, well, that, well, point, to that point, um, my wife was talking to a friend whose uh, family has a religious uh, kind of fervor about. Um, the Ranger, and they'd never buy an Amarok, and I went, I've got some news for them. <laughs> uh, yes.
0: Well, it's interesting you make that point, Chester. But we've had some tradies around recently too, and several of them have been in VT50s. Oh. And I suppose ju- juggling that balance between what's going to be a family car, to your point, Peter, the drop-offs at school or whatever that kind of day-to-day activity compared to someone who does want to milk every cent out of their truck and wants it to be as reliable as possible, um, and uh, the longevity, they want all that out of it. You've got to juggle that from the bottom of your range to the top and make it a pretty flexible uh, platform to do that with.
2: And and for the record, JC, too, I I think it's a little unfair to call the Mazda and Isuzu the same car. I mean, there are some major differences. Like, according to Tung's story, for example, uh, Mazda has redesigned the air vents in the BT50 with a unique shape. So look, you know, they are they're, they're very different. Very different That's true. But look, actually, Cheung
0: is all across
1: that kind of detail. To be yeah, fair, yeah. So, I mean, I, I can't quite tell, but if if it, if you were having the D Max, if you were in the D Max cabin uh, and the and the the Mazda cabin, and the Mazda cabin's got um, MZD.
0: Like, yeah, yeah, that's just, true. I mean, yeah. Yeah, m- multimedia screens are the same. Whether or not the, the stuff that underpins it is the same mm. is another question. That'd be a bit tricky. The steering wheels are the same. They've just got a different yeah. badge on them. So yeah, yeah, according yeah. to Tong, the interiors are much more similar um, than the exteriors uh, yeah. for, for what it's yeah. worth. There's well, no off, on this, but, but yeah. I,
2: suspect, uh, I suspect where Mazda leans on Isuzu for sort of ruggedness and toughness in a Ute. I suspect Isuzu probably leant on Mazda in terms of how to make a premium feeling cabin because you know you can't think of anything else in the Isuzu family that even offered Apple CarPlay and Android Auto and all those kind of things, you know.
0: Yes, one thing that will be the same under the skin is, um, as I think you mentioned, Chesto is the engine. Yep. Um, basically, the powertrain. So when um, Isuzu launched the new D-MAX late last year, it came through with the same, it's three litre turbo diesel, um, four cylinder, but a little more power, 140 kilowatts up from 130, and a little more torque, 450 newton metres up from 430. So the Mazda will have that same drive line underneath it, um, it six speed auto um, transmission behind it. And there'll be 4x2 and 4x4 four four versions and different cabs, you know, you'll have your single uh, cab and a half, dual cab, all that kind of stuff as well.
2: Yep. And JC, it's a, it's another indication of just how big Australia's seat at the table is when it comes to dual cab use. Mm. There, there are smaller engines being offered internationally, but but Isuzu in Australia largely wouldn't accept anything smaller than the engine they had. Yep. So one of the big selling points of that Isuzu for so many years was that people thought that engine was absolutely bulletproof. So. Now yeah. you've got that same engine just with more grunt, but it's yep. a winning combo.
0: Well, yeah. the other thing is they'll have the same tow rating, mm-hmm. so they'll be able to do uh, three and a half tonnes for a brake trailer, which is your, your kind of industry standard, so both yep. of those cars will be at that point.
2: And carry a tonne too, JC. So uh, Yes, pick those that's right.
0: Boxes. Uh, a, a tonne quieter, for payload, though. you're absolutely right, Yep. Yeah. Oh, now, the, the other demons. thing is the suspension will be – Broadly the same, although the details haven't been completely nutted out for the Mazda. So you've got a ladder frame, you know, body-on-frame type uh, setup, very traditional, with a leaf spring rear suspension, which helps to literally underpin that one-ton po- uh, payload. Now, the the other thing is warranty. Um, now, here's primarily the same vehicle, but you've got Mazda at five years, unlimited kilometres in the Australian market, and you've got Isuzu Ute at six years. 150,000 kilometers, so again, a bit of a juggling act. Which way do you jump there? Do you want the unlimited kilometers or more years um, isn't, on isn't your warranty?
2: That, the, the most recent example of that that I can think of is the uh, the Supra versus BMW. Yeah,
1: I suspect to say that if, if, you yeah.
2: buy, if you buy that engine with a Toyota badge on the front, it's good for five years. If you buy it with a yeah. the BMW badge, it's good for
1: three. It's three yeah, but <laughs> BMW customers are fine with a three year warranty, yeah, they keep like that. nobody <laughs> said anything to us about going to five years, it's only you know, uh, people uh, like us that complain. Yes. Yeah. Well, but you've as, also as got,
2: always asked when people tell me that. I say, Can I have the phone numbers of the people who've said they don't watch five yeah.
1: years? Like, you know what? Mazda said that exact same thing to us when I went on the Mazda 6 relaunch a couple of years ago, yeah. where they were still at three years, and, and the question came up where it was like, why aren't you guys, oh, because our customers are telling us that I want it. And I went, I don't think that's true. And two weeks later, it was five years.
0: Yes. (laughs) Yes, that's true. Now, look, there are also 134 Mazda dealerships around the country and 156 sales, servicing and parts outlets for Isuzu. So I I think Isuzu has a, a marginal strength there in terms of rural and regional areas. Yeah. Um, it would seem, to your point, Chesto, Mazda's more the private use and the Isuzu traditionally has probably been more the commercial um, kind of use. That's and, of course, the… See, that's,
2: um, that's fascinating. If you had asked me this morning yeah. which brand has a bigger dealership footprint in Australia, Mazda or Isuzu, I would have exactly. said that all day. That's it. Exactly.
0: Right. I mean, neither is a, a, a piffling number. That's That's a lot yeah, of yeah. representation across the country. But, yeah. Uh, the D-Max, you're going to be able to roll into more showrooms or parts of the service areas well, than, than with Mazda. Um, I'd
1: see if there'd be more Isuzu dealerships come online the next little while, given the demise of Holden as well. Yeah, good point, yeah.
0: good That's point. Fair. Because Colorado was a top Holden seller, um, yep. you know, such as the numbers were, Colorado was, was the standout <laughs> amongst them. Um, now, the sordid subject of money and you think yes. about where are they going to be priced relative to one another in the market.
2: That's and
0: we, we we don't know pricing for Mazda just yet. But as a guide, you've got DMAX currently kicking off at about $28,600. Mm-hmm. And you've got Mazda BT-50 at $29,060. So there is a bit oh, of, yeah. of a differential there. It could be a different situation when you're talking like for like
1: um, with the shared model. So we'll, we'll see where that goes too. But they're both also the one-ton cow pushes, aren't there? I mean, we're yeah. the really, exactly. where 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 the most interest is going to be is up in that kind of mid-40s. The audience. private buyers. So, yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. Ranger type well, range.
2: Two things I'd offer just quickly. I, I wasn't a fan of the last Mazda BT50 styling. I, I really thought that um, trying to Mazda 5 a U just didn't work for mine. But yeah. I like this new one. I, I think yeah, uh, good. The, the big, bold front end looks sort of manages to look both tough and, and sort of premium. You know, it yes. doesn't look that slab-sided from the side profile. I really think it's a good-looking thing.
1: Yeah. tell you what, the B two fifty that the, these tradies were, that are working with us uh, has been improved by the fact they clobbered a roo in it the other day and tore <laughs> off a quarter of <laughs> the bum bum. Looks a well, lot more um, industrial now. Yeah,
0: oh, I've got to feel right. my, my heart goes out to the kangaroo. I'm sorry that that happened. Um, but uh, by the same token, I'm happy for the panel beta because some business is coming their way. Um, But then, so we're we're expecting the uh, Isuzu in September uh, for the D-MAX. It got its global release late last year, but on sale here in September and Mazda's targeting a late 2020 arrival as well. So maybe a little bit after and both of them will be around and available for us to actually evaluate and see how they feel relative to one another.
2: So, then let's answer that question. Uh, I'll go to you first, JC. Who, who in this situation do you think gets the better deal?
0: Oh, look, I don't, I, I don't profess to know enough about um, either car yet. I'm just taking it at face value. And I think it is, going as a cop-out, I'm going to go horses for courses. I think D-Max's reputation for that almost Hilux-style, you know, unbreakable, has yeah. been Hilux's positioning for so long. The D Max has built that reputation too, and Mazda. I think it'll be more your private buyers that that will opt for it. But um, yeah. time will tell. It would be interesting to interrogate Mazda and say what their expectations are. You
1: know. Yeah. Yeah. I've Mr. been really fascinated by the way Isuzu has done. So as, I mean, as a general shout out, the car brands have been really good in the COVID advertising. They haven't done it this patronizing. We're all in together. In garbage. these challenging times. <laughs> it, it, now more than ever, like, yeah. But it just, and I, and I want to narrow in on the uh, Isuzu ad, which is really clever. Like everyone's in the house and they're yeah. looking out and saying, now is not the time, but when, 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 it, when everything comes back, let, you yeah, know, hit the road. And I thought that was a really good ad, but I thought that was an interesting piece of brand building. Yes. Uh, and I actually think that is going to play well for, for the new, um, the new uh, D-Max when it hits. Yep. And I think um, Isuzu's, uh, you know, uh, it's 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 marketing in the last year or so has been really strong. Sure. Uh, everyone know everyone is associating it with that. Is it a Fleetwood Mac song? Um, uh, and it's it's actually I think almost as strong as um, yeah, I bought a Jeep. So, oh yeah, okay, uh, yeah, that's good. I think that, that's good. And I, I think um I think the the Suzuki is probably going to slap Mazda unless they come up with a really really good marketing. Uh, I think it's
0: interesting, Peter, when you mentioned these challenging times and all the cliches that are around communications at the moment.
1: There's no doubt Martin's about made it. a
0: deal where every time he hears we're all in this together, he gives five bucks to World Vision. And he, he, he is basically emptying his bank account. <laughs> it's come back to bite <laughs> him hard on the bank side. Yeah,
2: no. Well, um, let, let me quickly answer my own question, JC. And, and unlike you, a lack of information yep. has never prevented me from jumping into a, jumping into a decision. He's a child on um, in the I mean, internet. The more I think about it, the more I'm going to hand it to Isuzu. And I'll, I'll tell you why. I, I know they've developed this shoot from the ground up, so it's only right that they get the better end of the deal anyway. But... I do feel like the Ute market has shifted so much in Australia over the last couple of years. It's moved into a more expensive, more premium, more luxury-feeling space, more lifestyle-feeling space than perhaps it ever has before, and people are spending more money on them than ever before. And there are a few brands around the world who do that better than Mazda, who get yeah. a, a, a nice premium-feeling interior, nice equipment, that sort of premium, premium-ish uh, experience that Mazda's offer. I think Isuzu can take a lot out of that. I really do.
0: Fair yep. yeah, yep. call. Cool. Yep, fair call. All right. Well, with that, I think we'll draw a line under that discussion. Love to hear what people watching or listening uh, think about which way they might be headed. If they're in the market, wouldn't that be fascinating um, to hear if they're lying up? A, a lot of tradespeople will be buying their new trucks now because it's end of financial year in Australia. Yep. Um, but maybe you'll be looking at the end of the year rather than than now. So tell us what your thoughts are. But we will move to some cars that we have been able to put our hands on and drive um, in real time in recent time. And Peter. I want to kick it off with you, a car in the garage, a really interesting one of yeah. the Mini variety.
1: Yes. So, I, I, it took a bit of negotiation. I mean, they're very fine people at Mini, uh, but uh, there wasn't actually one officially on fleet because of the tiny volumes. Uh, so, I kept asking and uh, got a Mini Countryman plug-in hybrid electric vehicle. Right. Great. Now, Great. This this is fully sick bro because when it's in electric mode it's rear wheel drive. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah, so so the 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 engine drives the front wheels and uses the battery where appropriate and the uh the rear wheels are electric and I saw and I thought that is really cool. Anyway, so obviously it's not uh, those those um electric motors aren't hugely powerful, but it's a really good city car for kicking around in. Yep. Um, you can easily uh, charge it uh, you know, up to about 30 k's in a few hours, which is yeah most people need. And, yep, and it drives like a countryman. Um, the countryman cops a lot of stick um, for being too fat, too this, too that. But as a compact SUV, it's very good.
0: Very I presume, expensive. Peter, is the, the motor then is at the rear. Does that comp- I'm guessing. Does that compromise load space? Or are there any kind of intrusions that you wouldn't find in a petrol countryman?
1: No, it looked pretty much the same to me, and uh, yep. I haven't run the figures yet, but uh, I think it's about the same size as the static and maybe a little smaller. Uh, yeah. But yeah, the mo- the motor's under the rear floor. Um, yep. But let's not forget that that car is available in all wheel drive anyway, so maybe it's mm-hmm. a bit of swappage there. Uh, mm. I don't think I don't think there's a spare, so I- I'd say that's probably the main change. Um, yep. But yeah, I-, I really enjoyed it. It was good fun, and yeah, just being able to plug it in and. Um, uh,
0: is it, I presume there's a bit of a price premium just to put
1: you on uh, the spot. yeah, yeah. Is, is, it's quite a bit yeah. more. Okay, yeah. all right. I think it's so, up around the sixty k range. Let me let me double check, but yeah, while well, right. i people are talking, but yeah. But I absolutely <laughs> love a good
0: FEV. You know, a yeah. plug-in Ooh, hybrid a... to me is a really great uh, kind of not compromise, but a stepping stone towards where we're headed. I really enjoy them. I look. Yeah, I think completely.
1: And you know, with um. So f- uh, fifty seven two hundred. So yeah, almost sixty grand. Um, That's plenty of money, isn't it? Yep. And that was the Cooper S. Uh, but I think um, I don't. I think Febs are undersold uh, and underrated because they are that stepping stone. And it, you know, you talk to anyone who owns an I three range extender or who, who who were brave enough to go with the Holden Vault. They never use the electric engine they just got into the habit of plugging it in yeah and, right um yeah because you know you talk to people and they, they have these grand dreams of driving 400 k's on a single charge and then you say when have you ever driven 400 k's in your yeah, petrol?" That's
0: right and they go yeah, that's I never, true never. that's true that, Mate, that is so I true i
2: totally agree with that this is that we need to reframe the conversation around electric cars not from how much range you get out of batteries but Mm. more how frequently are you away from home for more than one night? Because if you're at home every night or every second night, the the range is irrelevant. It gets plugged in and away you go. So I think but it answer to your question about – or point about uh, FEVs. I I think it's been a marketing problem, to be honest. Yeah. You're right. They are undersold in Australia. And I'm telling you, if Toyota was in the FEV business rather than the conventional hybrid business, we would all all know all about them and be far more on board. Well, it's interesting. I mean, they've – They've
0: been in the in the hybrid uh, business. You're right, but they've singularly been reluctant to bring in the yep. plug-in uh, hybrid yeah. varieties, various cars. But they're looking down. We were talking earlier about um, hydrogen fuel cell. I think they're starting to focus on Mirai, and they, they want yeah. that to be their hero, you know?
2: Yep. So yeah. I had a chat with a uh, very senior Mercedes executive at Frankfurt who, who was, um, if you'll excuse a terrible pun, quite frank <laughs> about that. Uh, <laughs> About That'd only that. be worse if you. Excuse his name me. Was Frank. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and which they never, they never usually are about these things. But he was saying uh, that basically he views electric cars in total, from conventional hybrids, plug-in hybrids, and full BEVs, as naught but a stepping stone to hydrogen. So hydrogen yes. will be yeah. the, the future technology, whether we like it or not. So well, it's interesting.
0: Mercedes-Benz Mercedes it? has conspicuously been exploring all of those paths. Yeah. You know, they have the depth of pockets. Uh, that yeah, allows them to make sure that they're ready no matter which way
2: things jump. Bloody expensive yeah. time to be making cars, isn't it? You need to it is. You Your R&D <laughs> dollars need to be through the roof. You've got to cover well, all you your know,
1: bases. You look at Dyson, he dropped a billion dollars and got nothing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. it serves him right. That's not right.
2: Yeah.
0: Now, um, Chesto, thank you yes. very much, Peter. Chesto, we'll move on to yourself. Um, you've been in, speaking of electric vehicles, an yes. electric
2: vehicle. Yeah, so look, I was in probably what you describe as one of the pioneering electric vehicles in Australia, but also one of the kind of unsung heroes, I think. I, I was in Nissan's LEAF. Yeah. Uh, and its biggest selling point is also its biggest marketing drawback. It doesn't have any of the Tesla supercar beating acceleration or amazing cabin technology or anything like that. It is just a Nissan small car that happens to run on batteries. Yes. But yes. what I found with it was that's what I actually liked the most about it. It, uh, yeah. it. it fit into our lives super easily. Look, it's not lightning quick. I think it's just under eight seconds, zero to 100. It's a 40 kilowatt hour battery. It'll give you about, I think, between 250 and 270 kilometres in range. But look, we're, we're in city types. I mean, that, that yeah. was, uh, yeah. most weeks that would last me, geez, at, at least a fortnight between charges, yeah. if, you know, if, uh, on sort of in our normal life. But there is one drawback that we found, and that is that because we do live in sort of inner Sydney, we don't have a garage, and yep. thus no, ah. there's no, no way to charge it. So yes. if, even though we are probably prime electric car customers, we also kind of rule ourselves out because there's short of putting a charging pad on a public street, the kind yes. of bit screwed on how we well, do that. Well, look, one of, the, one
0: of the potential next steps is exactly that, Chester, yeah. is, is provision of a charging point next to the gutter, out on the Uh, footpath now that would bring on suburban wars extraordinaire i'd imagine when your friendly neighbor plugs into your plug or however that works out but
2: i think that that issue is being addressed well so that's i said already parks his 1995 commodore on it that would be
1: (laughs) you're being iced um so that that problem Uh, is being sorted in london um so there are there's a number of councils who are installing um uh, charging points in in the in just residential streets, yeah, and uh, they're just giving you a smart card. Uh, so uh, you register yeah, the fact yeah. that you've got an electric vehicle. Yeah, so uh, again, one of my wife's Instagram friends, she's got an ipace, um, yep. and they bought it because they put that charging point in the street, and it's a fifty kilowatt charger. Yeah. so like does, <laughs> cool. does your does your
0: wife's Instagram friend have a shiny, lovely life, I presume? it's you know, <laughs> that's how, that's how it goes, isn't it? No. I My mean, wife
1: has an extraordinary Instagram account that she puts no effort into and has 3,000 followers. Wow. Good on it. I, there I call a, her the reluctant influencer, and she hates that. Um, there is that,
2: another movement in Sydney at the moment that I absolutely love. Uh, you know, we're, we, in this country, we're not, I guess, known to be the earliest adopters of this kind of stuff, but I do like this initiative. Two councils, one at Canada Bay, which is, uh, you know, around the bay run in Sydney, and the other one I think is Blacktown have just invested in a rollout of EV charging uh, streetlights. So yeah. if you pull up next right. to your street light, you streetlight, plug into that. Now, it's not a fast charger. It's just a trickle charger. But the idea uh-huh. is they're on suburban streets. When you get home at night, you can plug straight into the light bulb, a light pole, I should say, yeah. and in the morning away Perfect. you go.
0: Perfect. That's a good one. Yeah.
2: My, my only fear, of course, is that it only takes one person up after a couple of bevies to be walking home. They go, you know not want to be funny. Yank. Yep.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I suppose so. But aside from the charging issue, uh, Chesto, how did you find the ride comfort in the Leaf? That's one little flag that waves in my mind with that car.
2: Yeah, look, it's not, um, you know, it is not the most comfortable ride out there. But I, I actually feel that's somehow counteracted by the fact that it does feel surprisingly sporty. Again, okay it's, it's off, not off the step uh, off's
1: really good yeah. yeah it's
2: not a lightning quick ev it's not you know not not a tesla level of tear your eyebrows off but it is a perky little city car and in fact yeah. i'm being totally honest it's given it's a nissan and, and and perky outside of the 370z and gtr is not really what they do it's actually yeah. a, it's a really a welcome surprise i, really, I must admit i really enjoyed it fit the my cool. life perfectly
1: very it's good awesome. so one of two passenger cars that company sells
2: yeah that's right yeah, yeah
1: great yeah. point <laughs> great
0: point now um, i'll finish off with a car that we had a sneak peek at last week which is an aston martin dbs super Legera. now i had that for about four days during the week and um, i have a, a a long-standing tradition with my best mate dave david cassie james shout out to you guys i uh, showing him whatever i've got if it's half special and that counts when he was living overseas at various times, counts there as well. <laughs> and we agreed this was possibly the best one so far. Now, that, that tradition nice. has been going for many decades. So that's quite something. It is a 5.2 litre twin turbo V12. So it is enthusiastically not an electric vehicle. Yeah. And it's, it's also hooked up to an eight-speed auto. As I said, it's 533 kilowatts. That's more than 700 horsepower. More importantly, 900 newton metres of torque, which is, which is plenty of pulling power. Zero to 103.4 seconds. Um, it will, if you have a private road of suitable length, achieve 340 kilometres an hour. So it, it is quite, quite the car. Yeah. 536 grand. Ours was in Sabiro blue, which is a new colour for Aston Martin. I've got to say it's magnificent. It's this very deep, dark blue. When you first see it undercover, you think it's in fact black. But when it's out in the light, it is just uh, the most yeah, superb it's like, blue. It's running on, on twenty one, so it's got these massive rims as you would expect. Leather everywhere, like everywhere you look inside the car. So many cows gave their all for that for that vehicle to be trimmed uh, effectively. Nice. Is it Connelly? As you would as you expect, uh, I presume so. As it's you expect, epic engine noise. They've somehow managed to get a lot of noise past those turbos, yeah. and the acceleration is just meteoric. It is yeah. it is really really quick. But the thing that struck me about the car is that it's quite simple. It's a no-fuss car. Mm -hmm. Um, It's got a great little digital dash that just does everything you want it to do very simply. There's no elaborate kind of needless complexity to this car. It -hmm. also feels sharper than a big 2 plus 2 GT Mm -hmm. uh, normally does. It's not a 911, don't get me wrong, but it is a long way down that road. It really feels responsive and quite nimble. And super superleggera means lightweight it's still it's 1800 kegs so it's not a super lightweight car but no. it does feel responsive and more nimble than you expected it to be it was a really great experience actually yeah. is,
2: is, no, that more... a, is that a Mercedes donated interior in that one JC uh, the the, the, mes- the
0: hints of Mercedes are all around the multimedia um, yeah, control yeah, yeah. and the multimedia screen the engine um, no it's no. it's not the v8 is a Mercedes Make chair I, I I, I no, don't think – I stand laws. to be corrected, but um, I don't think the engine is.
2: Can I make one last point on electric vehicles, JC? All those cylinders, all that power, all that exploding fuel, still slower to 100 kilometres an hour than a Tesla Model 3. It's crazy, isn't it? Yeah, yes. it all
0: depends but. on the way you the way you get there, Chester. It's awesome. do you
1: do you want a Tesla Model 3, given this week's news?
0: Oh, yes. Well, now, that is a beautiful segue. Thank Segway. you. Because it That's is right. time. Well, Segway finished up this week, too. It is time for Muskwatch. And we will kick it off. Uh, as usual, uh, the deer leader has been on the Twitters and he, on Sunday last week, randomly tweeted, we must pass the Great Filter. That is our purpose. Uh-huh. OK, now, Dylan Davis came back on that and said, I would like to participate in the movement through the Great Filter, <laughs> and, <laughs> which I thought was pretty good. Dylan's keen, but it turns it turns out. That this is a reference to the Fermi paradox, which shorthand version of which is we're here on Earth. The solar system is so vast. Surely there's other life out there. Why haven't we had interaction with these other life forms? And the great filter is the thing that is stopping us from doing that. Allegedly. It means that the human race or living things never evolve to the point where they get clever enough to be able to find one another. That is this great, great filter, all right? So this is what Elon's referring to, and he says we must move through it. So it says there's more than just physical distance separates us. It's our inability to actually evolve to this point. So one person on Reddit, when I was investigating what this is, I, I can happily put my hand up to not knowing what the no, great filter don't. was. Um, he's talking about, look, it might take us 400,000 years to get to the point where we can uh, travel at the speed of 50% of the speed of light, so once we achieve that, it might take 100,000 years uh, to get to the point where we've met these other people, um, barring any, any kind of uh, mass extinction event. And, of course, Time Grella came in and said, it seems re- unreasonable we wouldn't be there in, say, 100,000 years unless there's some mass extinction event. Second half of 2020, allow me to introduce myself. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I think that's not far off the mark. Then... Uh, we get to now zeus elon was on the twitters again saying tentative date for tesla shareholder meeting and battery day is september 15th doesn't that sound exciting we will include tour of cell production system and chris came in with a comment saying release the zeus footage and i thought wow that sounds really ominous what is the zeus footage turns out spacex has been exploding starship fuel tanks on purpose to test new alloys and, and what have you that they're using in the construction of these tanks. That's so, according nice to the Space, Space Explored website, Lab Padre, who documents SpaceX activity at its Boca Chica uh, facility, caught footage of what appears to be a Boston Dynamics robot dog running around the launch site. And now they they, SpaceX, it turns out, has called their robot dog Zeus. Which of course is the Greek sky and thunder dog. And this robot dog's job is to get in there during these explosions to suss what's going on when the thing is actually erupting and other things where you don't want humans or real dogs uh, to go. So they, they strap that on. We've got some footage for people watching on YouTube of oh. their dog and they've called it, they've called their spot. Uh, no, sorry. Um, uh, Boston Dynamics calls theirs spot, and SpaceX has called their Zeus, and you can see Zeus moving around the launch pad, but then Coop came in on Twitter and said, SpaceX has installed a doghouse for their robotic companion, Zeus, and there it is, a red dog house, and that's where they parked the thing, and I thought to myself, I know whose idea that was. You know, <laughs> you let's go deal really with this Real-life dog, hold on then according to ars technica they were looking at the latest jd power quality survey mm-hmm. and tesla has been included in the latest survey for the first time and it's bad um, tesla had 250 problems per 100 cars mm-hmm. according to the 2020 initial quality survey there's been no comment i might add from the dear leader so far on this okay. result um, so it's been an annual survey for 34 years and it's problems within the first 90 days of ownership. And it's broken down into problems per 100 vehicles, 223 questions, nine categories, infotainment, features, controls and displays, on it goes. And for the first time this year, driving assistance. And it's you worth just- noting that infotainment or multimedia accounts for almost a quarter of the complaints it's apple carplay it's is the is the audio working all that kind of stuff but tesla as i mentioned scored 250 problems per 100 vehicles the industry average which surprised me is 166 so you've got obviously got multiple problems uh, with cars that people are reporting but it came last out of 37 and in fact it's hard to say that yeah it's hard to say that this is the definitive answer because Tesla refused to cooperate in 15 states where OEM permission is required um, for them to participate. So isn't that surprising? But the best, for those that are interested, was a tie between Dodge and Kia with 136 problems per 100 vehicles. So there's that. And the share price. Interesting story. During the week, our very own Richard Berry was out shooting a car in the outskirts of Sydney, and a peloton of cyclists came past, and one of them yelled at, hey, Richard, were you here the other day in a Skoda Karawak? And Richard said, no. And they had a bit of a discussion about that. He said, before he peddled off with his uh, friends, he said, hey, with Muskwatch, when you're doing the Tesla share price, make it five days, not one, because you're talking about the week and we <laughs> want to see where it's gone through the week. Richard said, OK. So sure enough, Stuart, Stuart Mahler has emailed us to that effect. And just for you, Stuart, we are going to start doing that. I think it's a brilliant idea. So... Yeah. Tesla last week was $985 – oh, no, Tesla is $985.98. Last week it was $1,036, and it hit a high of $1,008 during the week on Wednesday. So it is still just oscillating around that $1,000 for a share. That is incredible. It is incredible. To the point – thank you for that, Chester, because according to CNBC, Morgan Stanley said Tesla's rally to over $1,000 per share – may show that the market is forgetting about the difficulties of running a car company, Um, that really they're leaving investors at risk of a big pullback because they're seeing it as a tech stock rather than a car company. And they're actually saying that over the next 10 years, it is going to be very, very difficult to sustain that level of value um, in the share because it just is hard to make cars. It's
1: not like you're making, you know, other things. Market was, cap is $182 billion.
2: My God! Yes. So yes. news this week, JC, and, and Pete, I'm sure you saw that uh, FCA in Italy took ah. a world record loan from the government, something like 15.7 billion euros or something. Wow. To yeah. Basically to stay afloat ah. to help, yes. and to help fund the partnership with uh, PSA. Now, that, that is a giant, giant company that sells a lot yes. of cars globally, and they yes. are sort of living hand to mouth like so many of them are. So it does seem to reason that Tesla is in for... Uh, tough times
0: Look, i mean you it's perfectly valid to see them as not just a car business they're making yeah. power supplies they're into yeah. electricity they're doing the roof tiles they're doing all yeah. kinds of things yeah. but primarily they are still a car business yes um and so i think to see them as such um is a bit of a wake-up call rather than they're just on this ever-rising stairway uh to, to a higher price
1: yeah well it's it's a bit of a hype machine too because of all the the vapor like the uh, you know, the roads to the cyber truck, the, the truck truck, you know. Mm. And you, Elon you is
0: the brand. Elon is the brand. You know, it, it's yeah, his spruiking yeah. that causes people to become interested in the first place. And gets
1: himself in trouble in the SEC. So, you know, I mean, who <laughs> <laughs> exactly. wouldn't want a loose cannon as a chairman. That's what yeah. I say. Now, look, I think with that, that has brought us
0: to the finish line. Thank you, Peter. And right. thank you, Chesto. Thank you all. And thanks to our production superhero, night stalker and professional snuggler, Mr. Pritchard, for his ability to transform the stuff we record into what you ultimately see and hear. Today, he's in a T-shirt saying, sometimes I wake up grumpy, sometimes I let her sleep. And a one-of-a-kind hot pink lace-up pant shoes. Absolutely wild. Incredible. Incredible. Right, Please pass on the word about the podcast and let us know your thoughts by searching for Cars Guide on Facebook and Instagram using the hashtag CGPodcast or email us at comments at carsguide.com.au. Please feel free to do that. If you're an iTunes listener, please rate and review us and remember you can watch us on YouTube. But before we go, put my car into reverse this week and thought, ah, this takes me back.
2: Oh, James. No. <laughs> well, JC, they, they say laughter is the best medicine. Maybe you invite me onto this show, yeah. and you, you might do prefer this. the
0: illness. Yes, yes exactly
1: that's right. <laughs> 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 okay.